The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Yesterday, we began looking at Article 3 of the Articles of Faith of Zion Primitive Baptist Church, which states that we believe in the doctrine of election, predestination, and the final perseverance of the saints through grace, and that God chose his people in Christ before the world began. We began to deal with some misconceptions about what Primitive Baptists believe about the doctrine of election. Especially in our area, there was a big problem with absolutism. Yesterday, we dealt primarily with the issue of absolutism, and we began to see that that doctrine is not supported by Scripture, and it's certainly not what Zion Primitive Baptist Church believes and not what the old line Primitive Baptists have ever believed. Today, we continue our look at absolutism, and then we deal with the question of double predestination, and we see that that concept also is not scriptural. God didn't have to predestinate anybody to hell. We were headed that way on our own due to the sin of Adam and due to our own sin nature. So what the doctrine of election teaches us is that God, through his mercy, did indeed elect a people before the foundation of the world and predestinate them to be conformed to his image because otherwise no one would be in heaven. As we continue to learn about the doctrine of election, we're going to see that it's the sweetest, most precious doctrine in the word of God because it tells how a people unworthy of the mercies of God nonetheless received his mercy and grace, even when they didn't deserve it. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit. Thank you. 
primitive Baptist into any category of the religious world. We, we just don't fit very well. I think most of you know these terms, but in the theological circles, the general divisions of people as to their beliefs in eternal salvation are into the categories of Arminianism or Calvinism. James Arminius was a man who wrote a treatise to refute what John Calvin wrote. And he basically said, it's up to you whether you get to heaven or not. You make the choice. You're, it's free will. So we're generally categorized as Arminians or Calvinists, and, and often we're put in the category of Calvinists. But we don't fit real well into any of those categories because, you see, not all Calvinists, many Calvinists believe that all things are predestinated, all things uh, are uh, are determined beforehand by God. St. Augustine of Hippo, who was a great theologian, believed that all things were determined beforehand by God, that everywhere we go in life and everything we do in life, including our sin, was decreed by God. We don't fit very well into any of those categories. And here's the primary problem. This is the primary problem. I don't have time to preach on it this morning. Maybe I can do it before we're done with these articles. The primary problem with most of the religious world today is that they don't see a difference between eternal salvation and what we call timely salvation or time salvation. Sometimes it's called temporal salvation or blessings in obedience. And here's what I'm talking about. None of the decisions we make here have anything to do with our eternal destiny or eternal things. But many decisions we make here affect us much while we're here. You see, there are many things we're told that we ought to do that if we don't do them, we're going to suffer the consequences. Maybe the chastening of God or maybe just the consequences of, of making the wrong decision. You know, if you want to get out on the highway today and go to Tuscaloosa driving on the left side of the road instead of the right side of the road, it's probably not going to be the chastening of God that makes you end up in a head-on collision. It's going to be your dumb decision to drive on the left side of the road. <laughs> There are consequences. I can go to the Grand Canyon today and I can leap off and God's not pushing me down. <laughs> I'm going down because the law of gravity that God put into place is there and he expects me to understand that and abide by it. See, that decision could greatly affect me, right? <laughs> Does it mean I'm going to die and go to hell because I jumped off the edge of the Grand Canyon? No. <laughs> but people are going to remember how stupid I am the rest of their lives. <laughs> You'll say, that's so, that's so Granddaddy Chris. He was so dumb, he went and jumped off the Grand Canyon and thought the Lord would bury him up. <laughs> you see, the thing is, there are many things we do here and now that we ought to do to save ourselves. You know, that's what Paul, Peter is talking about in the second chapter of Acts after preaching about what Jesus did on the cross to that great crowd there at Pentecost. He tells about what Christ did. He tells about how salvation's solely of God. Then he says, save yourselves from this untoward or crooked generation. Is Peter schizophrenic here? <laughs> Is he saying one thing one day and one thing the next? No. 
You know, over in the 15th chapter of Acts, those Judaizing missionaries went down there and told the Jews, they said, you know, or told the Gentiles rather, it's not enough that you believe. You've also got to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to really be children of God. You know what Peter said? He said, don't place a yoke on their necks, on the necks of the disciples that neither we nor our parents were able to bear. That's a, that's a yoke you can't bear, child of God. Keep the law. Please, Lord, don't let it be so because I can't keep the law. I'm trying. I'm doing the best I can, but it's not. And, and sometimes I'm not doing the best I can, Brother Glendon. I'm just, I'm just struggling in this life with sin and the sin nature. I need God to keep the law for me. And he did that through the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he imputed that to me. You see, Peter is saying, there's a different kind of salvation out there than just eternal salvation. In fact, we put it this way often. We say when you read the word saved in Scripture, you need to ask yourself the question, saved from what? You say, preacher, wait a minute. You mean every time salvation or saved appears, it's not talking about eternal? Well, Peter was walking on the water one time. and He got his eyes off Jesus and he started sinking in the waves and he said, Lord, save me. <laughs> You know, if he's talking about eternal salvation, Jesus should have just said, you're about to be. <laughs> just going down and drown, you're going to heaven. <laughs> he's not talking about eternal salvation there. Over in the book of Peter, Peter talks about how baptism doth now save us. We don't believe you've got to be baptized in order to go to heaven, but baptism will save you from, from something. It talks about it being the answer of a clean conscience to the Lord. You see, what does baptism save you from? Well, to put it in the simplest terms, it saves you from not having been baptized. <laughs> you need to be baptized. When you see the beauty, the beauty of the scriptures and the understanding that Christ has saved us from our sins, you ought to be baptized. Follow him in New Testament baptism. And, and, and until you do, you'll never be satisfied, you see. Baptism saves you from that. So ask the question, saved from what? Because you see, it does no harm. In fact, it perfectly complements the doctrine of election, which says that God chose a people in Christ before the foundation of the world and predestinated them to be conformed to his image one day that those people ought to live in a way that shows that they are God's people. You know, I like for my children to act in such a way that I'm proud of them. They don't always do that, and guess what? I didn't always do that for my parents either. But it pleases me when they do, and it pleased my parents when I did, and it pleases God when you do. Over in the first chapter of Ephesians, if you'll turn over there with me for a minute. You know, he begins in that chapter by telling us that he's an apostle by the will of God. And in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings at heavenly places in Christ. Now listen, according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, not according to our pleasure, not according to our choice, but according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Now, we often hear people say, you know, you've got to accept Jesus in order to go to heaven. I don't read anywhere in the Word of God about accepting Jesus. But I read right here about being made accepted in the Beloved, wherein he hath made us accepted in the Beloved. You know, that's what 
the doctrine of election and predestination is all about. He chose us in Christ. You know, I love it, the fact that election deals with what happened before the foundation of the world and predestination deals with what's going to happen when, we're ta- when, when the resurrection occurs. He said we were chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. Over at, back in Romans, he said we were predestinated to be conformed to his image one day. Praise God for that. It covers from eternity past to eternity future. <laughs> Isn't that glorious? But now look over in chapter 2. As he begins to talk about what we were in nature versus what we are in Christ, he tells us that we were dead in trespasses and sins in verse 4, but God is the one who quickened us. And ultimately he says in verse uh, 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now notice verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we shall walk in them. That's not what my Bible says. Now, if I were absoluter, that's what I would want this to say. But I'm not absoluter. So what it does say is that we should walk in them. You know, the fact that we should walk in them implies that we might not. We're going to come back to that eventually when we talk about perseverance. You know, there's also a teaching out there that if you are a child of God, you will persevere in faith and good works. I got some problems with that. The reason I got a problem with it primarily is I've read about Lot. I've read about a man named Lot. It doesn't look to me like Lot persevered in faith and good works, does it? Looks to me like at the end of his life, he was in fear in a cave committing unspeakable sins while drunk with his daughters. If you, if you ask me, where's Lot today based on that, I'd say, oh, he must have split hell wide open. But you know what Peter says about Lot? He said he was a just man. He vexed his righteous soul daily in seeing and hearing their evil deeds. Lot's in heaven. Anyway, we'll come back to that. But that perseverance doctrine is so... It's subtle, and it'll cause us so many problems if we're not careful. Will we, will we be preserved in grace? Absolutely. Ought we persevere and progressively gain sanctification? Absolutely we should. But there's a lot of that that's going to be up to us as we struggle in this life. We are not absoluters. We do not believe in absolute predestination. But I want to, I want to turn to the next thing we don't believe. We do not believe in double predestination. Double predestination. Let me define that term as best I can. But essentially, double predestination says that before the foundation of the world, God actively chose a people to be with him in heaven and actively chose a people to be cast into hell. That doctrine is sometimes called in theological circles divine reprobation. That's another, I mentioned St. Augustine of Hippo. He believed that God has eternally decreed the reprobate state and the eternal sin-cursed destiny of the non-elect. John Calvin believed in this. Quoting from his Institutes, he said, By predestination... We mean the eternal decree of God by which he determined with himself whatever he wished to happen with regard to every man. Some are preordained to eternal life, others to eternal damnation. And accordingly, as each has been created for one or other of these ends, we say that he has been predestinated to life or death. And that comes from his institutes of the Christian religion. We do not believe the Bible to teach this. 
God knew Adam would fall and plunge humanity into sin, but he did not make Adam fall. As a matter of fact, Adam's really the only person <laughs> that you could say ever really had true free will. <laughs> you know, Adam, and think about what Adam was. Adam was our representative. You know, we, we, we ought to understand that of all people. We elect representatives in our nation to go to Washington for us, to Montgomery for us, different places locally for us. And uh, sometimes we get it right. <laughs> I'm sorry to say most of the time we get it wrong. I do. I feel disappointed in who I uh, voted for to send to Washington or different places like that. God didn't get it wrong when he chose a representative for us. Sometimes we say, well, it just, and we're going to talk about original sin. That's another article of faith that I mentioned earlier. So I think it's article four or five. But we're going to talk about that a little bit. But just let me just give you a little preview and say this. The doctrine of original sin teaches us that in Adam, who was our federal head representative, when he sinned, we sinned. We fell in Adam. Some say, well, that's just not fair. That's not right. I, um, I think I should have been there. Well, I got news for you. As I said earlier, God is able to pick the perfect representative, right? God, we, we get it wrong. God never gets it wrong. Adam was our perfect representative. He was the perfect one to represent us. God made him to be our representative. So what would have happened if you'd been there or I'd have been there instead of Adam? Well, I, I think if I'd have been there, the minute God got the words out of his mouth, don't eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I'd have been looking around and saying, where is it? Where is it? Let me go to it. I don't know what kind of time frame passed between the time Adam ate of the fruit and, and God told him not to and Adam ate of the fruit. But I guarantee you that if I'd been there, I'd have done it quicker. That's the problem. You see, Adam was so much a better representative than I would have been of the human race. And that's what the doctrine of original sin is all about. Adam sinned. He chose to sin. He, he did it with God's knowledge, but God did not cause him to do it. And ultimately, the doctrine of double predestination blames God for actively decreeing that the non-elect go to hell. I've said this so many times, I'm sure it, uh, you know what I'm about to say, but I'm going to repeat it again. We didn't need God's help getting to hell. Adam sent us merrily on our way. And I got news for you. Back over in Romans chapter 5 and verse 12. Let's turn there and look at it for just a second. You're not off the hook either. It's easy for us to say, oh, that Adam. Oh, Adam. Blame Adam. Notice in chapter 5 and verse 12, he says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, that's what Adam did. He plunged us into sin. And so death passed upon all men. That's the federal representative. That's, he was our federal head. He was the one who represented us uh, in a much better way, actually, than the people in Washington and Montgomery do because he was the perfect representative and even he got it wrong. But now notice what it says. So death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. You know, nobody's ever drugged me kicking and screaming to the temptation. Nobody's ever drugged me kicking and screaming into sin. I've always done it willingly. I've always, you know, I, don't ha I have a PhD in self-focus. You ever thought about that? You know, much as I'm supposed to be thinking about you, I think about me a whole lot better. 
It's a whole lot better for me, uh, easier for me rather, to be able to, to do what I want to do than to try to help you out and do what you want to do. I don't know how my wife and family put up with me sometimes. They know better than, I don't even know what you, don't talk to them later because I don't want to tell you about all the things I do. But, but I do them and you know you do them too. You know where you're, you've got a PhD in me. <laughs> That's what I've got. I've got a PhD in me. You see, I do all this willingly. And the truth of the matter is, election and predestination only have to do with God's sovereign choice of a people to go to heaven. Because we don't need God's help getting to hell. Anybody in hell can blame Adam and not God. And, and you say, well, preacher, okay, that's your opinion. What does the scripture say? Let's turn over to chapter 9 of Romans again. We're going to have to let this be the end for this morning. You remember what we read earlier about verses 10, 9, 10, and 11 and through 13 there? The purpose of God according to election is being discussed here. And he goes on in verses 14 to, to deal with an objection that's raised. And, and eventually I want to get to this objection because it's the common objection that's raised to election. And here's basically the objection. Well, that wouldn't be right. It wouldn't be fair if God chose some, and didn't give everybody a chance. Two quick responses to that. Number one, I, don't need, I, can't, I can't take any comfort in a chance salvation. The fact that, oh, it's just by happenstance that I'm here. And number two, I don't want fairness. I don't want justice. You know, I've said this before. Amazing grace is a precious song. Amazing fairness would be a horrible song. <laughs> It wouldn't do me any good to hear amazing fair. Oh, I just want what I deserve. You don't want what you deserve, child of God. I don't want what I deserve because I deserve to be in hell yesterday if it was ultimately what I deserve, you see. So notice what he says here. He says, what shall we say then in verse 14? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. You know, said it wouldn't be fair. It wouldn't be right if God did this. Again, we'll come back to that. He said, God forbid. And notice in verse 15, this is, I love this verse. Because I believe it's the clearest and sweetest statement of the doctrine of election you'll ever find anywhere. For he saith to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. You know, we're going to come back to this, but. The doctrine of election is not about the wrath of God. That's why we don't believe in double predestination. God didn't predestinate people to hell. They were going there anyway. But he reached down and scooped up a multitude that no man can number in his mercy and compassion and had mercy and compassion. I've heard the doctrine of election preached harshly. I've heard it preached where you would almost be afraid of it. I want to tell you, beloved, there's nothing to be afraid of with the doctrine of election. The doctrine of election is the sweetest, most precious doctrine there is because it tells about the mercy of a righteous God who, who otherwise ought to be casting us into hell because he's so holy, but he had so much mercy and so much compassion and so much love that he saved us from our sins, you see. I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. If you're here this morning and you've tasted of the mercy and compassion of God, there's nothing to be afraid of in the doctrine of election. It's so sweet. And notice as we keep reading here and bring this to a close this morning, 
He goes on to deal with a couple of objections. The first one is about the righteousness of God. The second one, he says in verse 19, Thou wilt say unto me, Why doth he yet find fault for who hath resisted his will? Again, we'll hopefully come back to this and deal with it. This is kind of an absolute objection or an objection against absolutism. But then he goes on to talk about the potter and the clay. And in verse 22, now listen to the difference in verses 22 and 23. What if God, willing to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction, and that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory? Notice, what the difference, notice the difference in how he talks about the vessels of wrath. And we could, we could use the term the non-elect, the reprobate for that. We could use the vessel, when he talks about the vessels of mercy, we could talk about the elect of God, the children of God there. But notice that those vessels of wrath were fitted to destruction. Notice the passive there. You don't see God acting there, do you? You don't see God doing anything but just passing them by. Adam fitted us to destruction. We're fitting ourselves to destruction every day in our natural man. But notice in verse 23, those vessels of mercy he had afore prepared unto glory. You see, the idea here is that all are bound for hell because of the sin of Adam. But God purposed to save a people who otherwise deserved hell. Those that go to hell are going there on their own. They're not going there because God's just like, the, just like the law of gravity. When I leap off the, the side of the Grand Canyon, God's hand is not there pushing me down to make me splatter on the bottom. That's the law of gravity. I did that myself. But you know what? If God were to reach his hand of mercy down and catch me before I hit the ground, He's done that before, hadn't he? We've heard of people being saved physically in this life in situations where it appears from all, all that we see that they ought to have died. And God has shown mercy to save them. That's what we believe about the doctrine of election and predestination. We don't believe in double predestination. There's a couple more that we're going to talk about, Lord willing, when we come back. Just a little preview. We don't believe in the chosen few. Don't let somebody tell you, oh, you're, you're one of those that believes us four no more. <laughs> no, we're going to see it's a multitude that no man can number. You can start counting when you're born, and you can quit counting when you die, and you still had not got to the number yet. <laughs> you can't number that number. And we also, many people say, preacher, what about that person that just really wants to go to heaven, but just can't because they haven't been chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world? Well, I want to tell you that's a fictional character. <laughs> if you find anybody who has a desire for Christ, a sincere desire to be with him, you can rest assured that person was one that he chose in Christ before the foundation of the world. Please pray as we continue this series, and hopefully we'll be able to see the rich, sweet truths of the doctrines of grace. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. 
If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismacool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.